Welcome back to Brazil Crypto Report. Today I'm joined by Jason Lau, Chief Innovation Officer at OKX, and Guilherme Sacamoni, General Manager at OKX Brazil. We talk about OKX's launch and go-to-market strategy in Brazil and Argentina, its approach to regulation and compliance, and its new Web3 wallet and Ordinals marketplace. Right. So we are joined today by Jason Lau and Guilherme Sacamoni to discuss OKX's expansion into Brazil and Latin America. So OKX has been one of the largest crypto spot and derivatives platforms in the world for many years now. Uh, so it's really exciting to see them setting up in this part of the world here. Uh, it's also very exciting to have Jason and Guilherme here to tell us a bit more. Uh, Jason, Guilherme, great to have you both here. Thanks for having us. Very excited to be here, Aaron. Thank you. Awesome. So let's get started with some quick introductions. Um, maybe Jason, we can start with you. Um, maybe just professional background and your current role at OKX. Yeah, um, I've been at OKX for about eight years now. And currently my role is Chief Innovation Officer. Uh, I've done quite a bit here at the company in various different roles. Um, so I'm sure we'll dive into that as we, as we dive deeper into the interview. But prior to uh, crypto and OKX, um, I was in traditional finance. I used to work at Barclays uh, out in Hong Kong, and I was in New York doing uh, municipal bonds. Um, so a, a, a bit less boring, if I, if I have to say myself. <laughs> and Guilherme, what about you? Awesome. Um, so currently, I'm the general manager of OKX here in Brazil. Um, but just like a long story short, started my career in, in investment banking as well. Did a little bit of Bank of America, Merrill Lynch here in Sao Paulo, um, and just been a a good chunk of my career at Facebook, or I should say Meta. It's always going to be Facebook for me, um, both here in, uh, in Brazil and in New York, where I support a lot of the financial institutions, uh, their strategy to, to grow in those markets. Then a little bit of business development, both on PicPay here in Brazil and Crypto.com um, prior to joining OKX as general manager. So Jason, maybe we can start with you. And I would love to just get some background on OKX, the company, right? So you've been there for it's you've been there for eight years. I assume it's maybe even been around for a bit longer than that, but it's been kind of one of these. It was originally OK Coin, now it's OKX, but it's just been one of these staples of the industry for several years now. But hoping you can give, give us some background on uh, on the exchange. Yeah, you know when when I joined, I thought um, I was late to the party, which was uh, <laughs> kind of hilarious in hindsight. Uh, the company was founded in 2013, uh, started out in Asia, and just gradually expanded uh, overseas to be able to serve global audiences today. Um, today, like you mentioned, we are a, we still remain to be a uh, exchange platform, allowing users to buy and sell and store and manage their crypto. Uh, like you said, spot and derivatives, as well as options, um, earn products, uh, a wide variety of different, um, different products for users really to get onboarded into crypto and get access to crypto markets. We also recently, over the past two years, have been working very hard on building out our Web3 wallet. So this is a, almost a separate side to the business where, in this case, users get to store and self-custody their own assets. So this wallet is a multi-chain wallet that supports 80 plus different protocols and networks. And you can basically think of it as a way, a gateway to access um, all the cool stuff, use cases and everything that's uh, happening in the wider world of uh Web3. Um, so the company today, like, like, uh, like we mentioned, are, is expanding. We are uh, expanding to Brazil, but we're also going to be uh, working on a, um, our expansion into Latin America via Argentina also. Um, earlier this month, 
we uh, announced our license in uh, Dubai in the UAE. Um, we are active in Europe. We are active in Japan, uh, also in Asia, in Hong Kong and Singapore. So there's a lot of stuff going on, and I, I hope we get a chance to unpack some of that later. And so maybe we can kind of dive into the the Latin America uh, expansion and strategy here, and really kind of curious. Maybe we can we can go over to you, Gary. I mean, really just kind of curious as to you know, like what do you guys have in the works here, and um, you know, why is this part of the world uh, maybe a, a priority right now or, or a focus right now? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, as as being a global player, I think when we think about our global expansion, we sort of like divide the world into regions and continents, right? And when we look into what's been happening in Latin America, I think by itself is super, super interesting. And that definitely catches the attention of, of companies such as OKX. Um, and I think the reason for this is because, you know, Latin America has been such an interesting lab of crypto um, adoption, you know, uh, if you really think about this, you have different use cases uh, of crypto adoption in different countries. And that by itself is so interesting. So when you think about what's happening in El Salvador, for example, you know, a lot of the government really pushing the adoption of Bitcoin, um, that by itself is very different to what we see happening in countries such as Venezuela and Argentina, where, you know, you see adoption um, as a way to sort of like get, get out of the inflationary um, fiat currencies of these countries. Which that by itself is also very different to the reasons why we see adoption in Brazil, where we we fortunately don't have you know that high of inflation, and we see you know crypto being used as a way to access international um, you know international assets and also as a speculation overall. So I think that by itself positions Latin America as a very interesting continent to be in um, um, by itself. So, but when we think about expanding Latin America, I think you know it's very hard to. And I think that that's an interesting thing when we think about a lot of a global companies expanding to Latin America. Uh, Brazil is, you know, in the end of the day, such a large market. And it, it is the battlefield where you want to get started with, even though it has its own language compared to the other countries in Latin America. Uh, and it, it is a little bit more unique in certain to certain extents. Um, I think Brazil has been really well positioned to be the first country where we want to lend uh, our flag. Uh, and then later start to expand in other countries in Latin America. So that's what we see now. We just announced our presence in Argentina as well, and we're very closely monitoring uh, other countries in, in in Latin America to make sure that we can um, expand to those countries as well. And if I recall correctly, you officially launched here in in maybe November uh, of of last year um, in Brazil, yep. and you've been pretty active. You you know did it had a nice little like, kind of marketing splash rollout. Um, see your, your you've got your uh, OKX and McLaren shirt on here, so <laughs> always be selling, right? Uh, but uh, but um, you know it's a nice. It, it's actually went to a, a McLaren uh, party recently. Uh, nice. So it was very uh, anyway. But um, you know anyway. So I was like, oh yeah, McLaren. Uh, but anyway, but yeah, but you've been uh, taking a pretty like proactive, interesting uh, approach here. Uh, like you've been, you've kind of like threaded this needle. Uh, I mean, there's obviously been this tension in Brazil between some of the global exchanges and the local exchanges. And, you know, kind of the local exchanges have been kind of, you know, complaining that the global guys don't play by the rules and the global guys are just like, well, yeah. we just sort of have better products than you do. And, 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 and like, but you guys seem to have kind of trying to kind of thread the needle. Where you're bringing the best of both worlds, essentially. Uh, so, Jeremy, hoping you could talk a bit about that strategy. One hundred percent, and and that's that's spot on. So, you know, when we think about the market in in, in Brazil more specifically, I, the way we divide the, you know, comp competition, if you will, is in 
virtually two spectrums, right? On one side, as you mentioned, you have the local players. Uh, those guys are really producing experiences for the Brazilian population that it's very spot on, right? In the end of the day, you have Brazilians building products for Brazilians. So you really know, they really know the market and they really um, can excel in terms of, you know, user experience and, 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 and processes and, and features. But on the other hand, they lack a little bit of, you know, of product portfolio when you compare it to a global exchange, such as the other players that, that are already here in Brazil. Um, so, and, and of course, the, the resource side is also something that is, uh, you, you, you need to think about this. So when on this side, you have the local players, amazing product, lack resources and lack uh, product portfolio. On the other side, you have the global players, right? They have the opposite problem. They have a lot of resources. They have a very significant product portfolio, but they lack the ability to customize and design an experience that is thought for the Brazilian user. And that is exactly where we want to position ourselves in the middle of these two worlds, sort of like bridging the gap between, you know, having an amazing product portfolio, a lot of resources to make sure that we can develop the market. And at the same time, and at the same time, think about our product and our solutions um, that is going to be designed to what Brazilians would expect when they're, you know, either getting their first exposure to crypto or they are a top trader um, that, you know, it's looking for liquidity and good fees. So that's sort of like how we're looking and strategizing our presence in Brazil. Um, and we'll see, we're, we're very hopeful that that, that is going to be uh, the right move for us to, to take over the market. Yeah, it's a very interesting positioning uh, in, in relation to some of the other players that are, are coming in here. And, um, I know this is, this is kind of like a staple of, of like Brazilian business school, you know, uh, academia, you know, uh, studies or whatever, but like there's, there's kind of like this, this like graveyard of companies that have like foreign gringo companies that have tried to come into Brazil and, you know, we're just going to kind of copy and paste our solution and from wherever, and we're going to paste it into, we're going to do it in Brazil. And there's kind of this, yeah. you know, this sort of graveyard of companies that have like unsuccessfully tried doing that basically. Uh, for lack of understanding of the local market and or whatever, uh, you know, kind of the whole Brazil's not for beginners reason or whatever. Uh, but I mean, give me, I mean, how does how does uh, you know exchange like or a company like OKX sort of, you know, avoid that fate essentially? Like, yeah. what's the what's the, the the key differentiator here? Yeah, I think, and you know, it's this is definitely not something easy to do. It's very easy to to, to speak about this, but not easy to. Uh, operationalize, if you will. Um, but one of the things that we that LKX does really well worldwide is the fundamental is the fundamental technology under or the layer of, of technology that supports our applications and products across the world. The ability that we have to customize and build ex specific experiences for different countries that we operate in is something that personally I've never seen before. So it's very exciting um, to have such a powerful, uh, you know foundation technology under our products and services. So that's something that allows us to move really, really fast. If you think about this, since November, since you know we started our operation in Brazil prior to the launch, in less than a year, we have fiat ramps. Um, we have just launched uh, this week our, our pairs for you know order books for Bitcoin, Ethereum, and USDT. We have a very selected uh, amount of tokens for that is completely regulated for the Brazilian users. So our KYC has been completely revamped to, to make sure that we're complying with local regulatory, uh, regulatory requirements. So this is, um, we cannot take for granted the capacity of production when it comes to the quality of the underground technology under our products. So that's, that makes our life much easier. And this is not something that it's trivial for most companies in the world, right? Um, the other thing that I would say is that because technology allows us, 
we have a very um, autonomy team to operate in ways that make sense for Brazil. So right here in Brazil, we have um, a head of compliance, a head of legal, and a head of product. We're currently building the specific roadmap of product that is going to be serving Brazil and, and uh, Brazilian users. That and it's very likely that this roadmap will not be replicated in other parts of the world. It's going to be exclusive roadmap, specific products that its only that its only goal is to serve better the Brazilian population. So that's how like I see uh, us playing on the regulatory side, for example, and not necessarily re regulatory, but the way we, we we build the foundation of our brand here is like we're the first, you know. I think out of the top five um, exchanges in the world, we're the first one to join other crypto. Um, so we're very committed to the market. So, you know, I think everything started with the technology and then just the way we divide and organize our strategy in terms of penetration of this market, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's it's a good way of thinking about it, right? If 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 the techno if the underlying technological base is is, you know, kind of popsicle sticks and duct tape and, you know, patching holes together, you know, you're going to have, it's going to be everything else in the stack is going to be a little more difficult. Right. Um, Jason, we'd love to get your thoughts on this question. And, and even, you know, just kind of coming at it from the perspective of, okay, okay. Uh, okay. Coin at the time started as primarily, you know, an Asian, you know, focus exchange. And obviously like the Asian market is, is, is quite a bit different from, uh, you know, North America or Latin America or Europe or, or anywhere else really. Uh, but how do you kind of see that? Like, you know, taking the success you've had in that part of the world and then, you know, kind of replicating that and modifying that for, for, uh, into other markets. Yeah. I mean, to Guy's point about being able to build and push a, a product that's very unique to the market. Um, this is actually a, it, it's not like magic, right? We've actually made quite a lot of mistakes over the years and learned quite a few lessons about how to do that. I think like you mentioned early on, you know, we were focused on Asian users and we, we thought to um, really just, that's a great product. Why don't we uh, let, let uh, you know, other users use it? And very quickly, we saw that, you know, the, the impact, the engagement um, was not the same, right? And so we had to uh, pivot quite a bit. And um, one, was, one was actually this, this rebrand re that uh, now you see on Guy's shirt and and uh, with McLaren and all that, but you know, it's also making the brand more accessible. I think um, we previously had some somewhat of a, a stale, stale uh, 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 brand and, and color scheme and all that. And I think now we've sort of coalesced around something that's a little bit more globally accepted and uh, more accessible. Um, and so again, it's just a lot of lessons learned. I think over time, you know, we we as a space. In the crypto space, I mean, 10 years for us and maybe a little bit longer for so, just a little bit longer for some others. It's not that long of a, of a time. Right. I mean, uh, Facebook is what now? How, how many years old now? Right. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. And, and that rides on the tails of other Internet companies and, and, and all that. So um, it, it, it's a it's going to be a continued journey for us. Um, and like you said, having people locally uh, being able to take user feedback actually is, is, and, and iterate very quickly on that is core to what we think as our, as our strengths, um, which is to be accessible, to be listening, uh, and really to be building on the back of some of those uh, responses that we get from, from the users and other stakeholders themselves. Kind of focusing more on, on just, uh, kind of, you know, the tactics here of, uh, you mentioned, uh, kind of Brazil as being kind of the battlefield that you're looking to play on right now that, that will kind of expand into the rest of the region. 
And uh, there are a lot of other, uh, I mean, I think this is the year where like, there's just a lot of other players piling into the Brazilian market right now. You have a lot of the local banks getting into the game. You've got, uh, you know, some of the global exchanges getting in. Um, and some of this is, I think is driven in part by, uh, you do have kind of like a chink in the armor of Binance, right? Post this DOJ settlement and, uh, you know, CZ stepping down and, you know, maybe this, maybe this is a bit of an extreme analogy, but kind of thinking of it like, as like, you know, like the Soviet union breaking up or something. And there's this kind of land grab and, you know, multipolar world ship. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's probably a little too extreme of, you know, Binance is still obviously a thing, right? They're not like disappear, but but there, there is some opportunity there to recap to capture some of that like market share that uh, that that you know not just Brazil in Brazil but like globally, right? Um, but Guy would love to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, I think now assuming that we're going into a bull market here in in twenty twenty four, which hopefully we will be, it does seem like there is a pretty good like there's a there's a like there's a void for in the market for like really quality products for for maybe not like super like top of funnel retail users in Brazil. Cause like maybe I could just go to new bank and buy Bitcoin there, but for people that are looking for, okay, I've bought my first taste of Bitcoin, but like, what do I do now? Like, how do I get more involved in this? And um, I mean, how do you kind of see like the competitive landscape playing out? And then how do you, how do you guys kind of fit in there? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. And uh, I think when we think about an industry overall, I think our take is that whatever took this industry to where it is now, it's going to look very different to what's going to take us to the next round of growth and adoption. So I think it's a much more mature industry um, to what it has been for the past 10 years, right? Um, and we recently, and just to add to that, we recently ran, and I think when we are airing this, it's going to be very around the corner when we're actually going public with these data, but we, we were running a, um, a survey in Brazil prior to our official launch. And we were re really interested in understanding uh, out of the people that had exposure to crypto, what, what were their take into what's important for the next bull run, right? And one of the things that was really clear was like 92% of the respondents uh, emphasized the need for clear and transparent information about their assets. And that was really interesting to see. Another 86% of them said, agreed, sorry, that proof of reserves would positively contribute to this into the legit, legitimacy of this industry. When we saw these data, we're like, okay, so this is sort of like connects really well to what to our hypothesis that we had for the whole for the industry as a whole, and we need to double down this for Brazil. So, you know, without talking about competitors specifically, but I think our approach to Brazil is to build a solid solution that is designed for the average Brazilian uh, user and experience that could be, and this is not trivial, but that's, what we're, going to, but that's our, what we're trying to do. An experience that's easy for the early adopters, um, so I should I say top traders, people that are looking for liquidity, more, ex, more opportunities around fees uh, and depth of the order books. I think we're, we're, just, we're going to tackle this really well. This is what we know how to do globally. We're going to bring that to Brazil. But at the same time, we want to bring an experience that is very easy to use. And the whole thing is going to be powered by a very transparent platform where users can go on monthly basis into the blockchain and make sure that their assets are backed one-to-one -to -one, uh, with us. So this is going to be the strategy that we're going to follow here for Brazil as well. It might not be the strategy that will you know, create a, a, very, a spike of growth over time, 
But I think over the long term, this will create a sustainable growth that is based on you know, product resilience, transparency, and security. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I love the sentence like, um, it, it works better in Portuguese, but calma que eu tô com pressa. I think we're, we're going to take it slow and clearly um, because we're in a rush to grow a sustainable market. No, it's a good way of putting it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, we're all here for like the long-term thesis of this, of this, this asset class and this technology. Right. And I think, you know, sometimes the, the short-term sort of, uh, you know, we start making kind of decisions, bad decisions when we're only focusing on just kind of how do I capture on this, like this short-term uh, gain or this short-term opportunity. So I think it's a good way of thinking about it. And, um, and then, I mean, Jason would love to turn to you here and get your thoughts on this as well. And, and you're, and you're focusing a lot on the product and the innovation side and, and, you know, it's like, okay, we've got, you know, kind of the nuts and bolts of running an exchange, like pretty well down, uh, pretty well figured out. But now it's a question of, you know, and this is, this is what I find really interesting is like, you have all the different kind of global exchanges, these global players finding, you know, kind of new ways to differentiate themselves like Coinbase. They, you know, they have their own layer two now that they're, so they have another touch point where they can, you know, uh, engage with, with, uh, with developers and builders. And so now it, it's it's the product isn't just like a place where you can buy and sell Bitcoin. It's it's like so much more than that. So, um, I mean, how are you as you guys are going into these new markets? Like, how are you, you know, kind of thinking of of? I mean, you mentioned earlier the wallet and and some other things. Um, but how are you guys thinking of like how do we differentiate these product offerings uh, so as to you know create a really good experience for both uh, you know maybe the top funnel user and maybe the more of like the the prosumer or the the, the power user. Yeah, I, I, on on a global scale. Um... There, there is absolutely a lot going on and uh, on things that we are excited about. Um, I think just to touch upon and follow up on what Guy was talking about on the proof of reserves, um, it's fascinating to think that, you know, it took something uh, quite massive like FTX's um, downfall in 2022 to really bring some of these pretty simple uh, blockchain native tools uh, to the market and for people to actually recognize the value of that. One fun fact is that um, back in 2014, we actually did our first proof of reserves. Uh, this was for OKCoin. Uh, but at that time, uh, users really didn't care. Uh, I think it was it was something that people didn't value at that time. And, uh, you know, almost 10, 10 years later, now now it's like a very integral part of, you know, both our value proposition, but also what users are asking. So that that maturation of the user understanding of the technology, but also uh, um, the development of the industry is is very uh, interesting to see over the years. And so on that on that aspect of transparency, trust, and providing tools to users, that's where a lot of our focus is is uh, on that innovation side, right? It's it's making sure users have the right tools to access Web three. Uh, also for developers to build on Web3. Um, and we're, we're doing a lot to support both. And so um, on the wallet side, uh, recently we've been uh, building a lot of features around uh, this new, relatively new phenomenon around Bitcoin ordinals and inscriptions. That's been um, very popular uh, over the last six, seven months where users are are really experimenting with doing things on the Bitcoin ecosystem. Bitcoin blockchain for, for starters, but also recognizing that these inscriptions are a little different, uh, whether they're NFTs or whether they're tokens, uh, token standards, they're a little different than what they had um, previously experienced with uh, Ethereum or other chains. And so it's very fascinating to see that 
uh, level of activity over there. And we're providing tools to do that. We we're going to be launching a inscription marketplace that's sort of one-stop shop. You can uh, access all, all the inscriptions you want on, I think, 20 plus different uh, chains, uh, including uh, a few of the, the more recent um, popular ones that are coming to market. So that's very that's something that we're very excited about. Um, another thing you mentioned, um, layer twos. We will be also going to launch our layer two later this year, also. And uh, you know, it's currently in testnet, and we have just really incredible support from um, protocols and and teams out there. I think there's someone told me there's um, 170 different projects that are already slated to be testing or going to be deploying. Um, when, when mainnet hits. And our vision for that is really quite simple. It's, it's, a new, it's a new way, like you said, to engage with developers, to work with them, to um, uh, come up with unique um, use cases for users, but also the support and the OKX ecosystem that we can tie together, whether that's on a liquidity front, um, allowing liquidity to be very seamlessly uh, uh, ported over to the layer two, or it, whether it's interoperability, making sure things that are built on this layer two work very well with our wallet. Um, we're just very, again, again, very excited for that. And please stay tuned uh, for more to come there. Oh, very cool. I didn't realize that you guys were, were doing that, that. That's in the works. That's very cool. Um, I like the idea of it. At first, when I, found, when I heard that Coinbase was launching their own layer two, I was like, well, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But like, it just, it, I was really impressed with like, the amount of momentum that picked up behind it. And it seems like there is there's definitely um, a demand for this sort of thing, and it and it seems like the the ecosystem that can coalesce around um, uh, like I guess we'll call it like a centralized player because I mean you are a, a actual company, right? So there's but you have the ability to 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 offer potentially more resources and some more um, you know development tools and just touch points and you know uh, things of that nature to to help kind of bootstrap an ecosystem around this that might be a little more difficult in a, more of a decentralized fashion, I suppose. But I find the idea really interesting, and it's an interesting new kind of touch point that um, I'm excited to see. You know, just you know how you guys do with that. So it sounds like you've got a pretty good reception so far. Um, on the ordinals front, I mean, I'll confess, I'm not, I don't really have any like opinions either way about ordinals. I mean, I, I, I kind of thought they were stupid when I first heard about them, and thought it was like this weird, like you know, another like Bitcoin civil war type of thing. Um, and that they would they wouldn't really lie. but not but it see I, I appear to, it appears that I've been wrong about that so uh, appears that these things are have become quite popular and people are using them and um and I mean the debates around these things are kind of funny to watch on Twitter where it's you know the the, the maxis are like it's like oh it's shit coins on Bitcoin you can't do that and you know the people just keep issuing their own meme coins and NFTs and whatever. I mean, Jason, um, you know, in crypto, like there's so many of these things that just they, they come and then they go, so they, they come, they become like everyone's talking about it and then they just disappear, right? Like friend tech or, you know, things like this, where it's like the big rage, everyone's excited about it. And then like a couple weeks later, it's gone and forgotten about, right? And, you know, as you guys are making these product decisions and you're like, hey, like, what do we focus on next? Right? Like, I mean, how do you kind of, how, how do you arrive at a decision? Like, hey, like we, we're deciding that Bitcoin ordinals is enough of a thing where we need to incorporate a marketplace for this because there's enough demand for it. And we think it's going to be around by the time we actually launch the product, people are still going to be interested in it. Um, like how do you kind of go through that decision-making process when you're, when you're looking to, to, to add in new uh, products and features? Yeah, I mean, I, I was uh, like you at first, I was a bit skeptical of ordinals. Um, but I think once I saw, I think most importantly, saw the uh, smarter people talk about ordinals and, and, 
Yeah, I think that there's obviously always two sides to it. But when you dig down deep, and I think what we saw was that this opened up a new level of design space for Bitcoin, uh, one that did not impact the uh, the original protocol, right? It, there is no actual, there's no change to the Bitcoin protocol to enable this. Uh, as well as the, I think most importantly, the excitement around um, developers and early um, users. We, the team... Is really focused. I'm talking about the Web3 wallet team, but also broader, broader uh, than that. But specifically in this case, the Web3 wallet team was very is is very plugged into the ecosystem. I think that's part of what makes a layer two work. What makes a lot of our products work is that it's it's yes, we are a company. We're building products. We're providing a value, but we're also part of the community, right? And we're here trying to see what what will stick and what will work. And so when we saw that ordinals was really getting traction um, on those two metrics, the, the users as well as the developers and, and that level of excitement. Uh, that's when we, we thought um, we should actually try to build something to help users access this. And the key thing that to, to see was we, we were witnessing users go through a very, very uh, tough user experience in terms of there was no wallets, for example, that supported ordinals to begin with. And yet there were users that were jumping through crazy hoops just to get access to this. And even today, I, I, I'm, I'd be the first to admit that um, the experience, the user experience for buying an ordinal, trading, discovering them, it's not as seamless as you would think for, for other uh, crypto products that you may be familiar with. And yet people are going through all that friction to get access. And that's, that's a sign of um, some real commitment from users that they're willing to really go out of their way to, to get access to these things. And that's where we come in, right? We, we want to build tools and products to help smooth that out. Um, we've been iterating on our product for the past six months, and we think it's it's constantly getting better. Uh, we're, we've been very fortunate that I, I, I saw a stat where we have upwards of 80 or 90% of uh, Ordinal's trading activities happening via our, our marketplace. And so we're very, we're very happy that users have put that sort of uh, um, feedback to us that this is the, the way to go if you want to access ordinals and inscriptions. Um, but yet, I think there's a lot more work to be done and it all boils down to that user feedback uh, and, and being plugged into the community and, and being able to listen to that. Yeah, it's a really interesting point about how uh, like the UX on this was just so bad that if, if people are actually going through this level of work to like engage with this and trade these things, like there must be something there. Uh, cause I remember when I first looked at ordinals, I was like, huh, maybe I should look into, I should try to, you know, get involved with this and was kind of playing around with that. It's like, okay, this, this looks pretty difficult. And like, I frankly just don't care enough to like really, you know, spend the time trying to figure this out. Um, but if there's like just a marketplace on OKX where I could just go and trade these things then okay, like maybe I'd be more interested in, 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 you know, there's, there's just less like friction and less like work I have to do to figure out, like download the right things and figure out how it all works and whatever. Um, uh, so that's a really interesting point, right? When that's it's a good uh, maybe indication of staying power. Where it's like if this thing is like that bad, but people are still like going through all these hoops just to figure it, you know, just to to, to access this product, then like there's probably something there, uh, which is super interesting. Um, maybe Guy, we'll maybe go back to you. I mean, if you have any hot takes on ordinals, I guess now's your your chance to voice them. But uh, but would also like to just kind of talk about you know what you guys have on the roadmap for 2024 in Brazil specifically. Um, as far as um, maybe you know, kind of customer acquisition strategy, uh, like marketing efforts, uh, 
McLaren partnerships, uh, you know, anything else, you know, football team, football tournament sponsorships or whatever. I mean, you know, it seems like you guys are taking a bit of a, you know, you're not just kind of copying and pasting like the playbook here where it's like, oh, you just go sponsor a football team and get your name on the jersey and whatever. But you're kind of taking a bit more of like a, you know, a uh, bit of more methodical approach here. So we'd love to get your 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 uh, your thoughts on just that 2024 roadmap here. Yeah, absolutely. So I think when we think about, you know, our short term strategy for market expansion in Brazil, um, we have just recently launched a campaign in Brazil. I'm not sure if you had a chance to see, but uh, it's called Trade Like a Pro, where we actually selected a few top traders in the country where, um, you know, it's very, it's very hard to talk about yourself, right? When you think about marketing strategies and we wanted to get, you know, okay, so there are some traders that are doing really well on our platform. Um, they're teaching others how to trade and, and you know, they're, they're really um, wearing the jersey of OKX out there. So we really, you know, partner with them to let them talk about their experience on OKX and sort of like see if, if that would resonate well with the users. And it has been, we're, we're getting a lot of positive feedback from, from this campaign. Um, we, of course, are going to be running some, uh, you know, digital marketing, you know, and partnering with some some influencers as well that we understand that, you know, understand the market. But we want to be, we want just as our core product, we want to be very transparent about our communication. We want to be very straightforward and communicate in as in, in a simple way as possible our features and products and services. We're very unlikely to do anything crazy in the marketing space short term here in Brazil. I think we have very powerful global partnerships that you know resonate well with Brazil, such as McLaren, Manchester City. I think those are two assets that we have been partnering for a while. Even during the the, the bear market, we have been constantly constantly working with them um, because it's not a short term play just for market expansion, but you know uh, something that resonates well, that connects well with our brand and what we believe uh, in the space. Um, so, you know, long story short, I think our play in Brazil is going to be, um, focusing on a product, developing something that Brazilians can rely on, uh, a product that is responsive, easy to use, um, and some, and just trying to get our features and solutions out there in the most clear and easy way for people to absorb with, without trying to do anything too large and too big that would drive short-term growth over sustainable adoption of the technology. Can we kind of dive back into the the regulatory side here? And uh, we'd love to just get your thoughts on how you guys are engaging on the regulatory uh, front here in Brazil. We're obviously in the process of uh, central bank is is drafting uh, an infra legal regulation framework, which we don't know exactly what's going to be in it, but we have sort of an idea of what's going to be in it, but it's going to come out later yeah. this year. Um, and then you know the, the central bank also had like a consultation where they're asking for input from the market. Um, Wondering, you know, I can't remember if you guys participated in that or not, or if I saw your name on that, but like, just love your thoughts on like how you're engaging with that at the moment and what your, um, kind of your, your, you know, how, what your operating strategy is to really kind of, you know, and then, and then if, and then Jason, if you, if you want to take the question of, um, you know, how are you guys going to be implementing this more globally as well? Cause I know you just guys got to get this, this Dubai virtual assets license and, um, I'm not sure what else you guys have in the works on that front, but if there's more of a global angle here to how you're approaching the regulatory question. Uh, just as that's that's becoming kind of a a, a bigger theme this year, I think, uh, just across the industry. But get, maybe Gary, we'll start with you, and then we'll kick over to Jason. Sure. Uh, so I think the the overall um, the way we're seeing this development in the market, I think with the with the regulatory agencies, I think this is overall very positive. It brings clarity to the market, and we're very excited to see. And, and we got really excited when we saw that the central bank was the uh, chosen entity to oversee the the, the VASPs in Brazil. So I think. 
you know, they, these guys have been doing an amazing job for the past few years. And I think that this is, this is really exciting. I think it's going to be a very technical approach uh, and it's going to bring a lot of clarity um, to the space. Um, we, you know, we joined ABEC Crypto, um, or the crypto, the Brazilian Crypto Association, uh, and we did collaborate with through them on the on the public consultation from the central bank. Um, we are very excited about this, uh, and I think we're ready to. We're absolutely going to go after the license once it's uh, when it's available. We have not. We, we didn't go any uh, after any other license. We're just waiting to see what's going to come out. We are. Last uh, through the grandfather period, since we started really operating a little bit uh, around the first semester of um, of Brazil, we did, we did have a product already in market, even though we didn't do a market launch. Um, so we're just waiting and seeing to see what's going to come out of this uh, of this new framework that the central bank is going to be building. We're collaborating as much as we can through Abe Crypto. Uh, so that that was one of the main reasons why we, why we were so interested in joining the association to really. Make sure that we can hear from our, from our peers, people that have been in the market for a long, uh, you know, a longer period of time than we have been, uh, and we could collaborate a, a lot with our with our global, um, you know, understanding of products and services. So I think that's the, the long story short answer to your question. Great, great, Jason. You want to take that more from the kind of the global angle? Yeah, I think I think from a global perspective, what we've seen over the years, um, like you have said, I think, and Guy has said. Um, we try to take a long-term approach uh, to many aspects of our business and working with various stakeholders and regulators is, is a key part of that. Uh, you know, we operate and, and serve customers and, and, and want to serve customers in, in many different areas and countries. Um, and so, you know, on the ground, we need to be able to engage and coordinate and communicate with regulators. I think our approach has broadly been collaborative, we would like to think, uh, and, and constructive. We, we engage proactively um, uh, without naming uh, a specific country. I think back in 2017, I remember we went and visited them. They had nothing on the books about crypto. They didn't even know what to do and, and what to think. But they said, we don't really like this type of activity here. There's no rules against it, uh, but we don't quite feel comfortable with it. And we respected their decision, right? Like we actually did not... Um, allow users from that country to onboard, uh, even back when there was no no rules and, and, and laws in place. So I think our history has been um, very proactive and constructive engagement with regulators. And, and today you can kind of see that play out. We are, uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, we are, we are regulated and licensed in, uh, in the EU. Um, we're working on our Hong Kong um, application right now, uh, same with Singapore. Uh, we are we are licensed as a subsidiary in Japan, um, and uh, you know hopefully in Brazil too when when uh, some of some of these uh, new new rules get firmed up. But but that clarity that that progression that we're seeing globally from regulators around the world, uh, it's just something that we're we're very like you said it's it's something that's very exciting and I think fundamental to unlocking what um, unlocking access, but also helping users understand that. This technology and this this um, uh, this industry is is going to be here to stay. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's it's been kind of like a, a painful, you know, maybe maybe just sort of reckoning period, I guess, for the industry's last couple of years on some of these fronts, and and uh, maybe some some things that have happened that you know we're not super proud of, and you know <laughs> people have had to make compromises on things that they don't want to make compromises on, perhaps. But 
Uh, it seems like things are trending, you know, hopefully trending in the right direction here on that front. Um, you know, at least with and there's jurisdictions that are realizing that this can be a competitive advantage for them, and uh, you know, it's not in their favor to just sort of, you know, kick everything out and tell people they can't operate here. Uh, so that's encouraging. So uh, thank you for that color there. Um, would love to ask, you know, just um, I mean, maybe maybe Guy, I'll direct this at you, and maybe if Jason, if you want to, if you want to take it as well. But in just thinking of when you're looking at at Brazil as a market, uh, you know, in relation to maybe other markets you're looking at expanding into, like Dubai, um, you know, I think in Brazil you have this this issue where it's like it's a it's a big country in terms of like population and GDP and whatnot, but the average, you know, income per capita uh, disposable income is not going to be as large as it might be in one of these other countries, right? Um, so you have this situation where like, okay, like your, your customer, you may have a lot of customers here, but those customers may not be doing like a lot of volume. Uh, they may not be doing a lot of actual trading. It might just be kind of buy, you know, click buy Bitcoin and hold it where as an exchange, like you're making money on, you know, the fees and whatnot. So it's like, if people are just buying and holding, you're not really making any money on that necessarily. Um, and there's also a lot of restrictions on offering derivatives here. And you guys are obviously one of the biggest derivatives platforms in the world. And there's, it's a bit it's a bit trickier to offer those things here uh, just because some regulatory reasons. So just thinking about you know how do you balance kind of the you know the the mission of like hey we want to bring this technology and these and these and this these products and services to uh, you know to a new market versus um, okay you know, we need to actually make money doing that in the same time um, you know and the value of these customers may not be um, you know as great just on a just on a you know strictly like revenue per customer basis as we might get in other countries. Um, so Guy, we'd just love to kind of, you know, get your thoughts on like how you guys are working through that question. And then Jason, if you want to chime in as well. Sure. Uh, I think just to address the derivatives piece first, I think this is definitely, this is definitely something that we're not bringing to Brazil uh, anytime soon. Um, we, of course, as we have mentioned throughout this the, the, the whole period of this podcast, we want to make sure that our approach is a long-term approach. Uh, we're very excited about, you know, a lot of the clarity that we're going to be getting from regulators in Brazil. And, and we hope, of course, hope that derivatives become something that is, it becomes a, a product that is possible to offer in the future. But until then, um, derivatives is not an option for our Brazilian users. Um, you're absolutely right. I think in Brazil, there are two places. Uh, and you need to be very clear on your strategy from the beginning. Um, it's either providing a, an amazing service to the top eight to five percent of the population when it comes to um, you know the top earners of the country, the, the higher the higher higher net worth individuals, or a major play for the two hundred million uh, Brazilians. But, and the play here is very different. Um, and we are at this time we believe that if we focus on offering an amazing experience for the top five to eight percent of the population the this will cascade into the remaining the long tail users of brazil and they will also appreciate um, uh, this easy to use uh, very informative and secure and transparent program that we're building in brazil but of course, when we think about short term, you know, for the next year or, or so, uh, how we're going to be playing our cards, we're not going to go into mass communications. We're going to be a very targeted communication towards, um, you know, the top eight to five percent of the population to make sure that we build a product. We get their feedback first to make sure that our product fits well, uh, what they expect in terms of transparency, compliance and, uh, and solutions. 
and then we hope that it will cascade to the other uh, users of Brazil. Uh, but it's, I, I guess that's a very important point, and I don't, and this is not a trivial point as well. I see a lot of companies making mistake and trying to, you know, have a one size fits all approach, hoping to acquire 200 million of rich Brazilians, which doesn't exist. Um, so we, of course, have to balance it out our product offerings and communication towards uh, what we believe to be the best approach short term. Yeah, just just to add, also um, the institutional market is all, all, also some uh, an interesting part that we look at uh, globally. Um, Guy, I don't know too much about the Brazilian institutional market, but I have you know there's been a lot of progress on that front too, with banks and and things like that. Yep. And so that that you know that's another angle where you know some of these products are are very viable for them. And you know we have a uh, you know very robust API stack. Um, that institutions plug into. Um, globally, uh, there's a tool called the liquidity marketplace, liquid marketplace, sorry, where, where institutions, again, can piece together really sophisticated multi-leg trading strategies and just sort of one click execute them. Um, so we, we've got some very strong uh, institutional tools also. And for certain markets, that's also a area, uh, 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 like an initial go-to-market also targeting not just the top five to eight percent of retail users, but also the the um, the sophisticated uh, trading institutions too. Um, and then just to pivot slightly onto the Web three wallet side, I mean, uh, this is a theme that we've talked about, which is we do tend to take a longer term approach to many of the things that we're building, including entering new markets. But for example, our Web three wallet, um, you know, we don't charge any fees whatsoever. Uh, it's a it's a free tool for users to use to to browse and, and explore the world of Web three, um, and uh, that's not a revenue tool at the moment. But we think getting more people into crypto, uh, educating them, and having giving them this access and empowering to do so, I think that's net positive for the industry, but also certainly will be for us down the road. So again, we'll we'll see uh, when it comes to sort of specific business models and. And revenues and, and things like that. I, I don't think that's actually our primary, primary sort of, uh, not, that doesn't keep us up at, at, at night. It's more like, are we building good products? Got it. Got it. Um, and then just to kind of wrap things up here. Um, would love to get a, a bit of just color about how you're thinking about maybe the rest of the region. Uh, you know, say, let's assume that, Hey, this Brazil activation, this rollout works great. Uh, let's take this to other parts of the region. Like, I know you just launched it in uh, Argentina officially. Uh, I guess it'll be you know earlier in February. Uh, but how are you guys kind of thinking about the rest of the region? And you know what what do you need to kind of like you know how are you going to measure success in Brazil over the course of this year or two? And then you know how does that kind of translate into the rest of the region? If uh, Guy, you want to take that one, sure. Um, so I guess when and, and I guess your question is more about how how this is going to play out in Latin America or Brazil more more of Brazil specifically. Uh, well, I guess like, what would it take? I mean, at what point do you, how are you thinking about the rest of the region uh, beyond just Brazil? Maybe we'll, we'll yeah. That. Yeah. I, I guess that goes back to the, to, to my point earlier. I think, you know, we, we are closely monitoring adoption uh, and opportunities across other, other countries in Latin America, but I think we have a very laser focus in expanding our business in Brazil and Argentina for now. Uh, and I think, of course, as we get the feedback, as we build an infrastructure that serves well the Brazilian uh, users and, and to Jason's point before, the institutions as well, which is something that we're looking very carefully about, um, 
um, we will definitely, uh, you know, probably expand our footprint into other countries. More to come on that. We, you know, we ha we don't have all the visibility, all the all the answers yet, uh, but definitely we are monitoring very closely other countries and um, and the opportunity that that they lay ahead of the of this industry. Great, great. Um, so to kind of wrap up here, would love to just you know get some final thoughts from you guys. I'll give you guys the floor. Um, any any like predictions for 2024? Anything you're really excited about? Uh, and then lastly, like how can folks get uh, maybe get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what you're doing um, or partner in some capacity? Uh, but maybe uh, Guy will start with you and then over to Jason. But uh, any any uh, final thoughts? Sure. No. Yeah. Um, I guess it's just that we're really really excited about our our product offerings in the country. We're keen to to get more feedback. You know, I guess one of the things that I, that I didn't quite make clear is that we're not only thinking about a product that serves well the, the Brazilian uh, users, but also we're building a very significant infrastructure of customer support. So that feedback that Jason mentioned before is going to be very, very important. Um, I, of course, am uh, very, you know, very responsive on, on, on LinkedIn. So if you're testing your product and, and you want to provide any feedback, I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear um, because we are really, our, our plan when it comes to to designing the experience for the Brazilian population is very robust. Uh, and I hope that we can get that right. Awesome. Uh, Jason? Yeah, I think this year is going to be absolutely phenomenal. I think we've already got a pretty good start to the year with the ETF stuff. Um, just the just the, uh, the the energy around crypto, I think, has really shifted over the past uh, you know 18 months. And, uh, you know, I, th I think it's just going to be a great year. We're, we're super excited uh, here because we have, you know, that layer two launching. We have new markets launching. We have new team members joining. Uh, and also for me personally, um, I've never been to Brazil. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be uh, visiting Guy and the team uh, during the web summit uh, that's happening in Rio in April. So uh, personally, I'm very excited about that. And that that is also what's going to make this year great. Um, for me, uh, my my social, uh, I'm at Jason KLAU on uh, Twitter. Uh, feel free to drop me a note. Uh, can't emphasize enough, like you said, uh, we, we crave feedback. And so please don't feel shy to hit us up about issues or like if there's anything cool that we should be checking out. Um, someone pinged me about this new ERC four zero four craze that's going on, and you know it's 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 important that we hear from users. I think we want to see where the market's going and where the community is focused on. So please don't don't be shy and uh, and uh, hit us up. I will confess, I, I don't even know what that is. Sadly, uh, that was I very like I feel ago. very don't like <laughs> I feel very embarrassed. Like I should know. I like <laughs> so, but anyway. Um, well, anyway, Guy and Jason, I uh, really appreciate your time here today. Um, it's a great interview, great conversation. Excited uh, just about what the work you're doing here uh, locally. And uh, best of luck in 2024. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you next time.